right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Throughout the last couple of chapters, we've been talking about how you treat people in the church, right? We talked about how to treat the elder men, how to treat the elderly women, how to treat young women and young men, and then we talked about how to treat leaders in the church, and now he has something to say about how slaves are supposed to behave themselves. We're going to equate that. We don't have slaves in the United States, but we do have employees and employers, and so some of those concepts uh, would be the same, and so it's important for us to talk about those. So let as many bond servants. So Paul is saying to count your master or your employer worthy of honor. That means that we're supposed to be good employees, we're supposed to be good workers, and that we're supposed to do what's called upon us to do. Now, this is not approval of slavery. It is just what was common in that day. Uh, so they're in, I think I read, don't quote me on this, but I think I read in my studies that at that time uh, in this area there were probably some 60,000 slaves. Uh, so there was, you know, there's this process that he is saying that the slaves need to be good slaves or good, uh, we need to be good employees so Christianity actually arose up uh, in a social setting where slavery was commonplace. I said 60,000, I just saw a note, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire altogether. So a whole lot of slaves. Now not all of those slaves were treated poorly. Some of them were treated and had kind of privileged positions. Uh, some did have, you know, get abused and various things as always happens when there's slavery. So the Bible never commanded slavery, but it did permit it during this time, but it regulated it. In other words, uh, there are also other things that tells the master not to treat the slave too harshly, but here it's talking about that the slave needs to be a good slave and to work hard for the master. In the New Testament, there is the institution of slavery there. You see that mentioned in the Bible. And anytime you have slavery, there's going to be racism, greed, class hatred, all of those things that are the reasons why we now do not have that in the United States. Uh, that and the war that uh, made that uh, possible. I would say that the church had a lot to do with slavery being abolished. So just the general principles of love your neighbor as yourself and that we're to love one another, we're to love God, we're to love one another. And so I would say that the church in general, not any particular church, had a lot to be uh, to do with slavery being destroyed. As a matter of fact, in, in my notes as I was reading, it wasn't unusual 
for a slave to go to church with his master at times. And the church was not segregated early on. So you would have the slave and the master in the same church, and sometimes, not often, but sometimes the slave may actually be an elder in the church or may be a leader in the church, and so there was all this who is the master going to listen to when he goes to church? If if the slave is actually a leader in the church, then you know there's this kind of contrast kind of thing going on. So uh, we don't hear a lot about that, but uh, those are some things that uh, have happened, and I believe it was God's plan through the church that you know slavery would would become uh, something of the past, at least here. How many knows that there's still slaves all over the world? There really are. Some uh, in various capacities. Some workers, some are in uh, sex slavery and all kinds of different things. And so uh, certainly the problem has not gone away totally. But hopefully, you know, the church can have a, a good impact on that. So as are under the yoke, so we're supposed to, as employees, work hard, honor our employer, and why? Why are we supposed to work hard? Because it glorifies God. That's right. It glorifies God. That's what the scripture says. Uh, when you work hard and you show that good work ethic, then it speaks highly of Christianity. It speaks highly of God. It glorifies him. In the same turn, when you are lazy or a bad worker or disrespectful to supervision, then in turn it could bring shame on the name of Jesus Christ. So these are actually, you know, uh, I, I don't know, many of you are still working, so uh, these are principles and things that we uh, need to know, that we should work hard, uh, that we should work as if we're working unto the Lord, right? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? How many of those, sometimes that's easier said than done to show that kind of respect and the things that we uh, should because sometimes they don't have the same values and principles that we do as Christians. It can be difficult to do so, but we're called upon to be good employees and to conduct ourselves at work as unto the Lord. Be a witness at work. How many of us are you going to be a witness at work? If you treat people fairly and rightly and uh, work hard, give the Lord a good name. So that's, that's what we want to do. So God doesn't uh, become blasphemed in, in the way we work. As a matter of fact, I think we could probably even lead people to Christ because of the way we act at work. Anybody ever get treated real unfairly at work? I have. <laughs> Some of you won't raise your hands, but I know you did. Some of you did or have. That's going to happen. How do you handle that? Do you blow up? Do you quit working? Do you, you know, what is, what, what, you have a choice, right? Uh, so it's important to uh, continue to work and keep your testimony alive. So let's read verse 2. And this is especially to slaves who have Christian uh, owners or slave or uh, us as employees who have Christian uh, bosses, 
then there's a, a special uh, thing that is said here. It says, those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. That first question that you have is when we work hard and honor our employers, it glorifies God. And then secondly, people will judge Christianity based upon how we or believers conduct themselves at work. So it's important for us to know that. It may be easy to think that if you're a Christian and your boss is a Christian that he shouldn't work you hard. But how many knows that they have a job to do? And their job, if they're the supervisor, is to get as much work out of you as they can uh, without harming you. Sometimes we have to be careful of our attitude towards especially Christian uh, brothers or sisters that may be our uh, employers. That's, that's important. Don't despise them uh, because they're a Christian and you are in service for them, you're working for them. We're equal before the Lord. In other words, like when you have an employer or employee, yeah, an employer who is a Christian, you're equal before the Lord. But they, in authority, have authority over you. And that's a big, that Paul talks a lot about authority throughout all of this. And it's important that we stay under uh, godly authority. And that we, uh, if we are working for someone, they're our authority when we're at work, right? Uh, it's important that we understand how to work and live under the authority that God has ordained the reason we're to serve them and serve them well is because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. We shouldn't expect special treatment just because our boss is a Christian. When I say that, I mean that we would have less work to do. We should expect them to treat us well, right? Uh, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but not necessarily that, oh, because they're a Christian, they're going to let me off the hook and I don't have to work, right? Uh, so that's important for us to understand. Uh, actually, because our employer is a Christian, if they are, then it should actually spur us to work even harder so that they look good and so that we look good, right? Uh, and so uh, some of these things are very practical things that Paul is telling Timothy, but yet the principle behind them, uh, it's important for us to uh, understand and to know that that is why we should do it. And then it tells, he tells Timothy, teach and exhort these things. In other words, Timothy, since you're the pastor, uh, it's your responsibility uh, to teach and exhort these principles that Paul is laying out to him. Uh, you can look at that as these principles about slaves and about masters or these principles about employers and employees. It's important that uh, we don't skip this. It'd be easy to skip this section. Well, it doesn't seem to apply, but it actually does apply, right? And so, and sometimes we want to skip sections of the Bible because it's difficult. 
<laughs> I don't want to hear about that part about how hard I'm supposed to work, right? <laughs> uh, but if we, we do have to make sure that we, we don't skip sections of the Bible just because uh, it's difficult uh, to do. Here Paul is telling Timothy that you are to teach and exhort these things. And then he's going to go into a section about money, contentment, and godliness. That's what these next three verses are. Verse 3, 4, and 5, they speak about content, money, contentment, and godliness. It seems like we all pay attention when it's about money, right? Let's read these. If anyone teaches otherwise, so remember he said, Timothy, it's important that you teach these things. Now he's saying, if anybody, because he's the pastor, is teaching otherwise and does not consent to uh, wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. So after he talks about all these different ways that people are not living like they ought to, he gives him advice, and he says, Timothy, withdraw yourself from them. If anybody teaches otherwise, imagine if you're the pastor and you have other teachers and other ministers in the church. In the church. Here Paul's saying, Timothy, you have a responsibility to listen to their teaching and to make sure that they're not teaching incorrectly, right? Uh, teaching other than what I have uh, told you to teach. As a pastor, I really take that responsibility to myself. I really do that. If somebody teaches for me, I go back and I listen. Not to find if they're wrong. Most of them are not. They've been, you know, raised in church, but to just say, hey, you know, you did a great job, Matt. I never thought about that. And so I take that as a responsibility to do that. Uh, but also the ministers in the, in the church that preach, uh, some of you know this, some of you don't. If they haven't preached a lot, they have to preach it to me first then they get the privilege to preach it to the congregation. Uh, and that's important. Why? Because they could unknowingly say something that is incorrect. You don't want them to get up in front of the congregation and say Noah when they met Jonah. And, you know, <laughs> or worse than that, to say something that was uh, not doctrinally sound. And so I take that responsibility seriously. The only folks that, that are behind the pulpit here uh, are those who have been experienced quite a bit or they've preached that to me and I've been able to give them uh, constructive feedback. And I go back and I listen to my own sermon. <laughs> this is how serious I take it. Every week I go back and I listen to the sermon that I preached on Sunday. And I listen, like, is that correct? Did I misspeak something? How did I do? How did I present the message? Because it's important. How many of you learn by listening to yourself? I mean, you really learn. 
it was severely painful at first to hear myself preach. You ever listen to yourself teach or listen to yourself give a speech? You're very critical of yourself, right? So it's important that we do those things to make sure, number one, that we're teaching correctly, number two, uh, that we're presenting the material in a way that people can understand it and in a way that inspires people to make a decision about whatever you're preaching about. Those are important, and you probably don't know, didn't know that I went back and listened to myself. Uh, most of the time I put it on a real high speed because I've already heard it once when it came out of my mouth. But I do listen to it. So here Timothy is to be on guard against those who would misuse the word of God. I just spoke about who some, somebody who might accidentally say something incorrectly. But here Paul is saying, Timothy, there's some people there and, and even some in the church that would use the opportunity to teach to misuse it in order that they would gain. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, it's important uh, for Timothy to do his job of being the shepherd. It's important to me that whatever comes from a teaching standpoint or whatever comes from preaching, that it's sound and it's good doctrine, right? It, it's very important. I can't say that I've never, but it's extremely rare for me to even have a visitor, a guest speaker that I have not heard before uh, because I think it's very, very, very important. These uh, people who are teaching otherwise are not consenting to uh, the words of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's telling them. And so it's important that uh, Timothy do his job, that he stays consistent, that he warns anyone who might teach incorrectly, especially if it is uh, to misuse it for their own gain, then he as the pastor is responsible for that. And then he goes into this whole list of People doing things like being obsessed with disputes and arguments. You ever met anybody who just that's all they want to do? They just argue? It's not pleasant, is it? I mean, it, it, it's just not pleasant. Uh, but also, there's a spirit behind that, right? A spirit sometimes of anger, a spirit of uh, where people just want to argue because they want their way uh, sometimes, and then you know, sometimes there's disputes and things like that because, you know, people are trying to misuse that opportunity. Uh, so it's, it's important that we act correctly, but also that if anyone is teaching that these things, that they're lining up. He says, envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, uh, all of these are the fruit of disputes and arguments. And so, uh, how many knows that's detrimental to a church? Very detrimental to a church if there's lots of arguing and fussing and fighting and all those kinds of things. Uh, and it happens sometimes. And it's not always easy as a leader, and I put this back on you now, I'll be talking about being a pastor, but as a leader, if you're a leader of a ministry, then 
the first responsibility comes to you as the leader to make sure that your area of ministry is not having this kind of stuff going on. And then ultimately, finally, I should say, you know, it's going to always have to come back down to the pastor if you if you need to be. Uh, so th these are important. He's just warning uh, Timothy that there are uh, dangerous people that will try to misuse the word of God and try to uh, take advantage of people. It's easier to take advantage of people when you're in a position of leadership. So you have a big responsibility on your shoulders as a leader uh, to make sure that you know, you're treating people fairly, you're not misusing them, you're not misusing the word especially uh, to uh, gain from that. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, who suppose that godliness is a, mean of, is a means of gain. In other words, instead of what we talked about at first, that we're to teach and we're to do all these things in order for God to get glory, uh, he's saying, Timothy, you have to watch out because there's some people who will teach, preach, be leaders, do all those kinds of things, uh, and their motive is not to lift up God. The motive is that they would receive gain, or they would be exalted, or they would be promoted, or uh, those kinds of things. So their motivation isn't correct. It's not entirely about uh, God's glory. How many of us, we do this for his glory, right? Uh, when you come to church, come to church for the glory of God. Uh, when you teach, teach for the glory of God. When you preach, preach for the glory of God. When you give your offering, give it for the glory of God. When you serve in any capacity, serve for the glory of God, right? Uh, and that's just the principle behind all of this that, that Paul is talking to Timothy about. In other words, Paul is saying it's possible for somebody to take the gospel and almost market it in the way saying this because I know you, you've seen this. I've seen it on TV. And market it in such a way that it just benefited them. I mean, you've seen that, right? I'm just going to give you a quick example. If you'll, I'm not saying that sometimes this isn't a principle. There is a, let me know there's a principle of giving. It's called seed and harvest, right? I'm not trying to negate that principle. But if Every time someone teaches or preaches and they say, if you'll send in this $1,000 offering, then God will do X. It doesn't negate the seed and the harvest principle of God's word, but the problem with it is that the motive is all wrong. That's one of the reasons why on Sunday mornings, you know, I get up and I say, here's a scripture about how we're to give, or our attitude, or our heart. Because I want you to know that I'm not just saying give, give, give. I'm actually saying give because it will bless you. Give because it's a principle of God. Give because you'll benefit and be blessed from it. Give ultimately because it's going to glorify God. Right? Uh, so it's it's very important that we uh, understand that. So we're, uh, you, you don't want to market the gospel for you to benefit, but also you need to recognize when that's happening, right? 
The other thing that I just started doing just recently in the last two weeks is I want you to understand as core people in the church that when you give to the church, it's not all just about the church receive, receive, receive. Okay? Uh, the church does receive because there are ministers to pay. There are light bills to uh, pay. There are all those kinds of things. There are ministries to run. But what I'm showing you over the next few weeks is that it's not just about the church gaining. It's about the church also giving from what you give. Things like supporting another ministry. FCA, things about like helping another church, which we just did this past month, uh, that was struggling, that was smaller. And we're so blessed that, hey, why shouldn't we? And as a matter of fact, that's a principle of God is to help others, right? Uh, what I want you to see is that there's a balance. Yes, it does require money for the church to do ministry, but there's also a principle, my board hears this term all the time, what are we giving back? What are we giving back? And the principle that we use here as a church is that the goal is to give back a tithe to other ministries, to outreaches, to community organizations who are doing the work of the Lord as well. And so you can know that we as a church, we believe in you having a principle of tithing in your life, and we believe as a church that we should tithe. So we, we do that. And you're going to hear about some of those things on Sunday and how we give back. Uh, and it's important for you to know. So Paul sums up all of this uh, to Timothy. And he says, if you have people like that, cuss them out. Is that what he said? If you have people like that in your church, uh, confront them before everybody. Is that what he said? No. He didn't say that, not in this passage. What did he say? Withdraw yourself from them. Right? Now, there are times that you do have to confront. We talked about that last week. But here Paul's saying, if you've got people teaching falsely and misusing the word and doing all these kinds of things, then you've got to withdraw yourself from that. that. That's important. Not everything should we confront. Not everything should we argue about. Sometimes the best thing is just to let them do their own thing and withdraw. Have you ever done that? Not always easy to do either. In withdrawing, you're not condoning it. You're not saying this is okay. You're not saying that's the way we believe. You're saying, hey, that's, that's not right. Let me withdraw. Don't associate with those who are presenting the gospel in an incorrect manner. So that's important. Let's read verse 6. Just one sentence. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What does it mean to be content? Sometimes I get up and I preach and I say, if you'll do what God's called you to do, then you'll be happy or you'll be content. But this was not doing that because didn't feel right. There were some, some things that were wrong. Right. That's all we can say. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Anybody else? What does it mean to be content? Satisfied with your situation, your surroundings, your environment, secure in, in, in your relationship with the Lord. Like, yeah, he's there, but he hasn't just abandoned you in that situation. 
Contentment is uh, maybe a lack of fear and addition of peace. Anybody else? What does it really mean to be content? The word satisfaction has been used. Does that mean that we don't desire anything more? Not necessarily, right? So it doesn't mean that we are happy that we're in this situation, but that we're content and at peace because we know that God's got us and God's put us in that place for that particular time. And now he knows that God gets the glory whether we are, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but I'm, I'm going to say it. Whether we're real happy about what's going on or not, if we're living for the Lord, God's getting the glory. Many times when we go through the valley and we go through the trial and we go through the circumstances that we don't like, but we come out the other side, we're still with the Lord and we're still following him and people see that, then they're like, there's something to this Christianity, right? There's something to this following the Lord and God gets the glory. Now that wasn't fun. Yeah, try, I, I'm good. I'll be the first to tell you, there's been some, been some things I've been through that I don't ever want to go through again. God got a lot of glory out of it. I just assume he do something different next time. Uh, if we're totally honest, right? Some things are not that easy to go through. Uh, so godliness, what does it mean to be godly? Godliness with contentment is great gain. So living like God. There's a likeness in our living that is like God. Paul says something in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, which, can I be honest? Many times we take Philippians 4, 13 totally out of context. I did as a young person. You probably recognize Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a wonderful verse. And it's true on its own, but in context, it even has a different meaning. When I had some physical goals that I wanted to reach, one was setting the high school high jump record. I was able to do that with the help of the Lord. I, I would say, you know, I'm going to bench press this 120 pounds or whatever. I, you know, I weighed 135 soaking wet probably. Uh, so, uh, you know, there were things, and, and really, I don't know if Mama remembers this or not, but up above my workout bench, weight bench, I had Written the phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's an okay application. It's kind of out of context. I just want to tell you that. And I do believe that's true for whatever. I think that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But let's look at it in context. In context of Paul saying godliness with great with contentment is great gain. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So the context of that is not, whoo, 
shout to the Lord. I can just go do all things. He's saying, I can do the really hard things. And I can do the really good and easy things. And in all of that, I am strengthened by God and I can do it all. I can suffer for the Lord. I can abound. I can do all. I can uh, struggle. I can do all these things with God's help and for his glory. And that's kind of the context of all that. Sometimes we like to take scripture and just use it for our little one thing. And sometimes that, that helps us. He also said that we should know God in the uh, power of his resurrection, but in the fellowship of his suffering. Now, I'm not saying that God, Carol, I agree with you. I'm not saying God wants you to suffer all the time. But what I am saying is that when you do, you can still be victorious because God's with you. Even people who don't serve the Lord have good things happen to them. Because God's just a good God overall. Sometimes we can look at other people and how they're being blessed and we know they're not living for the Lord. And we're like, ooh, what's going on here, Lord? I mean, this is just to be truthful. We, sometimes we, we see those kinds of things. I don't think God expects us to be burdened down all the time because he, he says things like, uh, cast your cares upon me. We don't talk a lot about that, but as Christians, we should seek counsel. I'm not necessarily saying go, go to a counselor, though there's nothing wrong with that for sure. I think that's good, but how many knows that God gives his fellow Christians to walk this life with? And you've got somebody that uh, I hope you do. If you don't find somebody who you can go to and seek counsel with, and then you can trust them that what, what you tell them they're going to keep, and they're not going to blab it to everybody. You, you need somebody who is a friend enough who will say, eh, you're, you got the wrong attitude with that. Or Maybe you shouldn't do that. Or maybe, you know, you need somebody to hold you accountable. So why is it so hard to be content? Can we just be honest? It's hard to be content. And honestly, most of the time, we desire more than we need. Three reasons why it's difficult to be content. First thing, in order to be content, it's necessary to have an internal perspective. And it's so important. But everything in this life will not work out exactly like you hoped and dreamed it would. But you can still be content as long as you have an eternal perspective that God is in control. Now, I don't, I, I may not like the situation I'm in, but ultimately God is in control and I can be content because I have an internal perspective that says that even if it doesn't get made right here, then it will be in heaven because God will take care of it. And there'll be a place of great glory and, and happiness and contentment for us, right? So you got to have an eternal perspective, number one. Number two, and these are just things, you may have other things, but these are just things that uh, in studying, uh, I, I saw it's hard to be content in a consumer culture. Wow. You've got to have this Gensu knife. It will cut through a shoe. It'll cut through this metal can. Now, why you want to do that, I don't know. But you've got to have it, right? And you find yourself like, man, I didn't even know I needed that. I'd really like to have that. 
Still won't cut you a tomato. You know, it'll do all those other things, but it won't, won't cut your tomato right, right? So there is something to this consumer mentality, this consumer culture. When I get up on a little soapbox related, many times people come to church with a consumer attitude. I don't, I'm not going to go to that church. They don't sing the songs I like. That pastor, every once in a while, he steps on my toes, and I just want him to make me feel happy. So I'm not going to go to that church. I'm not going to go to that church because they got pews instead of chairs. I'm not going to go to that church because they got green carpet instead of whatever. Blue. I don't know. But if we don't watch it, so I make it light of that. But there's some serious problems when people come to church with a consumer mentality. It really is. And, and hey, believe me, I've got specific types of songs that I like too. I've got things that I would rather them be this way than that way. But if we have a just total consumer mentality, then we're going to end up not content more than we are content. Uh, so it's, it's important. Uh, and you just don't have to have everything that the Joneses have. And there's a Jones right there. Anyway, <laughs> you, know, you know that keeping up with the Joneses saying that they say. You, you don't have to have that to be content. Some of the happiest times, I'll just be, be, be honest with you, some of the happiest times I ever had in my whole life when I was so poor, it was, you'd, you'd have felt sorry for me if you'd seen how poor I was. I mean, I, I went home every day at lunch and I either had pasta or a sandwich. I couldn't afford nothing else. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when I was young, when I was first married, when I, I didn't have a lot. And me and my wife, we showed up at 5.30 at either my mom's dad's house or her mom and dad's house. Oh, y'all eating dinner again at 5.30? But I was happy. I was in love. My basic needs were met. And I, I had food in my belly. And, you know, it was just like there was just a contentment that doesn't necessarily come when you have more and more and more. You have to understand that sometimes we look at people and oh man, they got that beautiful car, that boat. Guess what? They also got the bills that go with that. Consumer culture. And then if we're, and this is the first one I said, if we're honest, most of the time we desire a lot more than we actually need. We can be, we, we could be content with a whole lot less, uh, but we always think we need more than what we If you're looking at this world to satisfy you, you have the wrong perspective. Because this world is not your home. If it was and you weren't and you didn't have a lot of stuff, then you have a reason to be discontent. But since this world's not your home, then you can be content. Because God's gonna make it all right, you know? It's all going to be right when you get there, right? Whether it is here all the time or not, it's all going to work out. Verse 7 and 8. Well, this really puts it in perspective. 
Paul says, when we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Paul said, you don't need anything but food and clothing. He didn't even say shelter in that. I think that is a basic need, but he's saying, man, you can go hide in a cave as long as you got food and clothing. He had no place to lay his head. That's what he told. He said, you want to follow me? I don't even have a place to lay my head, right? So that's pretty, you know, perspective. You brought nothing into this world. You ever seen a baby packing a purse when it came out? <laughs> Wallet? Didn't bring nothing with it. Penniless. And not even a pocket to put the penny in. That's how baby comes out. And you can't carry anything with you. I've conducted a whole lot of funerals. I think last count was like 47 or 48 funerals. And at none of them, absolutely none of them, was there a U-Haul following the hearse. You cannot take it with you, right? So that, that's the, I mean, Paul's just kind of getting the real perspective here. Saying you can be content. And we don't think about this this is actually a lot of spiritual application because the devil wants you to be discontent and unhappy because when you're wearing a sad sack face, you're not a very good witness to the world. It's important. You can't carry any of it with you as long as you've got food and clothing, then you can be content. So a sacrifice, especially like the first sacrifice, like an animal sacrifice provides both of those food and clothing. That's what God uh, did for Adam and Eve when they sinned. Even, even in their sin, God provided everything that they had need of. Even in their sin state, God provided everything. How many feel like you're just rich? Amen. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about in the world sin. I'm talking about in, we're rich. We know him in whom to know is life everlasting, life abundant and free. Uh, we've been set free, right? Uh, so uh, we can feel rich in the Lord, blessed, highly favored. Uh, if you meet some of those people who's, how you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. Uh, sometimes they don't act like it, but you know they say that. The truth of it is we are really, if we have Christ in our life, we're blessed and highly favored. Question one. When we work hard and honor our employers, it glorifies God. Number two. People will judge Christianity based on how believers conduct themselves at work. Now that's a sobering thought that Question three, according to verse two, why are we to serve our employers? Because we're one of Christians. Those who are benefited are believers and beloved. That's what verse two says. Question four, fill in the blank. If anyone teaches otherwise, is a warning that Timothy must be on guard against those who would misuse the word of God or change or 
restore, however you want to say that. Question five. What should Timothy do with those who teach otherwise? Withdraw. Question six. According to verse six, what did Paul consider to be great gain? That's correct. Three reasons why it's difficult to be content. Number one, we don't have an eternal perspective. Number two, our consumer culture. And number three, we desire more than we actually need. And then finally, what two things did Paul say should make us content? Food and clothing. 